Hello and welcome to the Winchester, the podcast where we explore everything to do with film, TV, entertainment, pop culture, you name it. If you're a nerd like us, you're in the right place. We'll be diving deep into all things nerdy to discuss exactly what it is we love and hate about them. This week, we're stepping into the gladiatorial ring with Ridley Scott's Gladiator. And we'll be answering the question, what historical time period would you want to visit? Now, there's details to this. You are immune to all sickness because, you know, you don't want to be the guy that brings back smallpox. But first, we're going to do a recap of the week. There's a few things that happened this week that we'd like to talk about and discuss. Uh, The first thing, the major thing, Dune. Dune has released several photos. Uh, What do we think about this? Now, Ben, you're the only one out of the three of us that have actually seen Dune. I've seen, like, probably a little bit of it, but not all of it. What, uh, what, let's start with you, Ben. What, what were your first initial reactions? Uh, this looks badass. I know they're just, they're, they're stills and they're, they're designed to drum up some conversation about it and they're obviously some of the best pictures to get people excited for it, but it's working. Like every everybody looks incredible. It's it's got this weird, super futuristic, dystopian, almost western feel to it. I really, really dig it. Sweet Hannah, as somebody who hasn't seen uh, the first Dune, what uh, what are your thoughts? So I really actually don't know a ton about Dune. I know that it's sci-fi. I know that it's like a very detailed sci-fi that people get super obsessed with once they start reading it which I'm hoping I'll be able to start reading it soon but just from these photos like I am upset with myself that I haven't delved into this earlier than now because like looking at Oscar Isaacs like with that armor and like even I can never say his name Timothy (laughs) Timothy Chalamet (laughs) and uh, Rebecca Ferguson they they look awesome with their little like nose hook up things and <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on but it yeah yeah no they're, they're cool. cocaine dispensers for sure yeah <laughs> I don't know what's going on there but I'm digging it Rebecca Ferguson was in Dr. Sleep that yeah. I, I guess that came out what last summer and yeah. I fucking loved her in that so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie that seems to have every single possible actor in it. yeah and jason momoa's in there for the ladies yeah he i honestly he looks great as duncan idaho i'm really looking forward to seeing like that's a it's a really interesting character in the books the first dune book um so i'm really looking forward to seeing how badass he is because duncan is basically this combat master so it'll be it'll be cool to see uh this massive hulking jason momoa as uh as this totally badass uh fighter some sweet moves is so i i know that people really like him i i actually haven't seen any movies that he's been in but the uh timothy chalamet what's his deal do you guys know (laughs) uh he was in he was in that movie i never i i have to agree with you i never have seen anything that he was in but he was in that movie that got some buzz it was uh uh, what was it? I think it was like the the older guy who falls in love, love with the younger oh, guy. Oh, call, call me. Call me by, by your name. Call me by your name. Yeah, yeah. it was a uh, Army Hammer was in it too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I never saw that one, and I know that he was in. Like, he seems to be very popular right now. He was in Little Women, which and I still Lady haven't Bird. seen yet, and Lady Bird, and he was in oh, something right, else. Yeah. I can't remember right now. My my brain is failing me today, but uh, yeah. <laughs> he so was I, in, he he was in Interstellar. Uh, was he? Yeah, he played 15-year-old Tom. Oh, oh shit, really, eh? Fuck. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. 
He's uh, so good, you don't even know who he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zendaya, um, too. Her eyeballs, they look pretty cool. Yeah, she looks great in this. Um, I'm going to have to agree with all of you guys. Uh, this is, uh, as someone, I've seen, like, probably maybe the first 20 minutes of Dune or something like that. I was really young when I when I watched it, though, so... Yeah, you'll have to forgive me for my blasphemy. But, yeah, I was like, this looks awesome. And also, I like, I particularly like how... What's the proper wording to it? <laughs> oh, respectful. Uh, how, how respectful it is. It's looking to the older to the older film. Like, the suits look fantastic. And even, even the... Uh, I'm just scrolling through right now. Even the uniforms. Like, the uniforms aren't so as done up as the original... Because the original had like a lot of regalia on them and all that, but these look fantastic. Like I, I'm really digging this, and you know, Denny Villeneuve, he's rock solid in my mind. hasn't hasn't made a wrong move. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I can't stop looking at these images. Like they're so gorgeous looking, but like half the people in it, I barely recognize, but I'm still drawn into it. Like I've uh, looked at this picture of Denny Villeneuve and uh, Javier Bardem a few times now, and I didn't even realize that was Javier Bardem. Yeah. I was just like, man, that costume looks incredible. The cinematography in Dune is going to be provided by Greg Fraser. Greg Fraser's also done Rogue One. Oh, nice. okay. I, I really like the cinematography in Rogue One. I thought that yeah, one looked same. beautiful. The beach stuff, that was that was great. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's maybe why they went with him. To be oh, honest, possibly. He... Yeah. It is a very desert planet, so. Yeah. yeah. Spoilers. So what's, what's with the nose thing? What, it's what air, is isn't that? it? Is it air? It's been a few years since I've seen the movie, and uh, quite a few years since I've read the book, so I can't remember. Because um, I remember seeing them like in stills for the original movie, but I just never—I don't—I don't know what it is. I remember now. Uh, it, what it is is it's a still suit. So what it is is it's designed to uh, recapture the moisture of the body uh, okay. and pre- preserve the moisture of the body. Okay. Wow. As soon as I That's saw cool. the word "still suit," I remembered exactly what it was. <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm super stoked for this movie. It looks uh it looks pretty cool. And I don't Not- like Denis Villeneuve, he hasn't done wrong yet as far as I'm concerned. I have loved every one of his movies. Uh he did that enemy one, right? With Jake Gyllenhaal where he was doubled? Yes. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. That one was that one was really good too. He's a he's and, a Canadian uh, director. And we can't forget he did. Yeah, he's uh he's from Quebec, I'm pretty sure, Montreal. Did he do Ensemble as well? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Well, he did Blade Runner 2049, and yeah. I think that movie is way better than Blade Runner the original, so. Y- yeah. He did Arrival in, yeah, he did Incendie, uh, oh, Sicaro, okay. Enemy, Prisoners. Yeah, that, oh, fuck, that was a good one, too. He did Polytechnique. Oh, okay, yeah. We're getting, we're getting a... real, uh, real niche with some of these movies, then. <laughs> yeah. Anybody listening to this outside of Canada will have no <laughs> idea what Polytechnique is, or why it means so much to Canadians. Yeah, he's a uh, he's worked with so many like top actors. It's crazy. So we spoke about Rogue One earlier today. One of the other things that happened this week was Rogue One, uh, the TV show, well, the Rogue One spinoff, uh, had some casting announcements. They decided to cast Stellan Skarsgård in it. You would know Stellan Skarsgård from the Avengers, one of the many Skarsgård family members that is in the entertainment industry. Uh, what do we think about this casting decision? I mean, we don't know anything about the Rogue One TV show other than it's going to be about Cassian Andor and K2SO. So it's a bit of a prequel. But quickly, though, what are some of the things that we're hoping to, to get out of this? Honestly, I'm really hoping that they continue on with the solo Cassian stuff that they showed in Rogue One, where it's uh, 
the darker side of the rebellion having to do some uh, some shady deals and kill people in order to uh, further their movement. I think that would be really cool to see that darker side. Now, it being on Disney+, Plus, I don't know if it will. We did see a little bit of uh, some darker stuff in uh, in The Mandalorian, so I'm really hoping that they follow through with it, showing the hero as more of a morally gray person. Well, this is the great thing about this sect of the Rebellion, is that the Rebellion, the, in Rogue One, they introduced this intelligence section which is the green rank insignias because you've got the you've got the military which is which is red you've got the the navy which is blue and then you've got the intelligence sector which is which is green they can they ha- they have the ability to go darker with this and i really hope that they do and i i personally loved rogue one any issue that i had with rogue one was just simply about tone i think they could have gone a lot darker with it and i think in parts they really did do like the tone that i was hoping for but I think I hoped it would just went through the entire thing. But then again, like Rogue One is one of my favorite new Star Wars that has come out. And I agree with you 100%, Ben. I hope that they take this as an opportunity to go real dark with it. Uh, Star Wars television has a real common thread where it starts out very kid-friendly, and then they realize, or then they, they hear the call from the fans that they want it to be darker. We see, we've seen that with, with Clone Wars, with Rebels. Not so much with resistance, but a little bit with resistance. It had its mo- it had moments of uh, of that kind of more mature theme, but it it ended pretty as about as goofy as it started. Yeah, and the 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 great thing about Star Wars is that when it does go dark, it does it well, and it and it really hits you. And if they're able to take that tone and just and just run with it. Oh my God! It would, I think it would mean so much, and it would it would impact people. It would affect people so so well. So I hope I agree with you. I hope that they go a little bit darker. Cassian Andor and K two S O have that ability to to go that dark, to be that dark. Um, Cassian Andor can be and pretty much is a a very dark character. I mean, he murdered a guy in an alleyway. So if you take that and then pair it with K two S O, who is dark but comedically dark. <laughs> Um, Alan Tudyk, my boy. Yeah, I think I think it would be great. I think it'd be. I'm looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to this, and I think that they've seen a lot of the reaction from Mandalorian, and I think they're just going to start getting into their groove of okay, this is what the fans want. Now's the time to get dark. I, I think that Rogue One kind of opened the door a little bit for things like the Mandalorian and stuff like that. I don't know how long these things were in production for, but I remember watching Rogue One and I, I absolutely loved Rogue One. I thought it was amazing and it looked beautiful and I liked the story that they were trying to tell and they did a couple things in it that I hadn't really seen in a Star Wars movie before and it drew drew me more into the world for sure. I really liked uh, Jin's character and I, I just thought they did... A lot of really neat stuff with it so I'm interested to see them expand the world out a bit because that was the one thing that bummed me out a little bit was I thought that it was going to be kind of it for that storyline because they killed them all spoilers they killed them all off at the end of the movie um but I'm really happy that they're going to delve more into that world I yeah, really think totally. that going for that more mature feel to it and kind of that darker side of the rebellion um, could be a pretty interesting allegory for like modern times and um, having the conviction to stand up for what you believe and having to do the things necessary in order to achieve a better world. I yeah. hope that they don't swing too far, though. Like, this is the thing about 
Star Wars is like you guys have mentioned a few times that like it's about hope and it's about like I think it's kind of like a shining light in a lot of the the sci-fi that we've had is like it hasn't gotten that to that point at least from what I've seen so I hope that they don't go like all breaking bad with it and make it like okay the rebellion is full of like shitty people too. Like I, I really oh, hope no, no, that. No. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think that you can have. I don't think that you could. I, I think it's a fine balance because because out of the t- like out of the tone that you have uh, that Star Wars has, you want to make sure that there's the balance of of good and evil. Like Star yeah. Wars, absolutely is all about balance, right? Balance of the Force, balance of good and evil, blah 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 blah. But. I think it it's about in terms of tone of who who is this for? And of course there's the argument of like Star Wars is for kids. But the thing though is Star Wars those kids have also grown up. Yeah. And this is the thing, this would be my argument. I'm wondering what your guys uh thoughts are on this because to me Star Wars will always get new audience. Yeah. I don't think that they have to worry about cuz there's the argument of like oh well we have to make sure that we bring new kids into it. New kids are going to come into Star Wars regardless. Parents are always going to show their kids like the yeah. original trilogy. Like that's just going to be something that happens. <laughs> those Absolutely. those kids that from those kids in the 70s to the 90s all who grew up with the original two trilogies, they're going to show their kids Star Wars regardless of how old they are, how things change, whatever. So that right then and there is going to be the majority of new kids' first look at Star Wars. Then you've got young kids in the 2000s whose first Star Wars were the Clone Wars animated TV show. And that brought people in. And that brings you into a whole new world. And I think you should still have that sort of thing. You should still have things that primarily bring kids in. The animated stuff is perfect for that. But something like Disney Plus, streaming networks, it is prime real estate to go deep in, one, go deep into the lore, go crazy deep into the lore. This is where you get the nerds money. This is where you take our money. (laughs) I want to pay for something that's going to go so hardcore and I will watch the shit out of it. And I'll love every single little bit of it. But also, the, like the older Star Wars fan of me, and especially because of current times and our current, you know, political climate and you know, world climate, things are a little bit darker, and and people are more desensitized to things. And I think having a darker tone, you need to find that balance of okay, we've got the original Star Wars fans who have grown up with Star Wars, and things have changed. You know, everyone's shapes and everyone's like minds have molded into, into different ways. You know, some of us want a little bit more of a darker Star Wars. Some of us want you know helms deep with lightsabers. Some of us want you know uh, a little bit more of a prequel fill. Some of the younger folks. You know, I think there's going to be a interesting balancing act on Lucas and Lucasfilm and and Disney on both sides there just trying to be like okay how are we going to do this because you kind of have to cater to a bunch of people and I think it just means you know hey we got to do one it's it's almost like a like a director studio relationship okay I'll do this for you as long as long as I can make my movie you know what I mean so I think like maybe I don't know it, it makes sense to me that the movies that they continue to make will be more aimed towards all audiences. Yeah. Like, I feel like Rogue One was a bit of a test to kind of see who's going to go see that movie. And it wasn't quite as popular as the like the other movies. I think it, people still went to go see it, obviously. But 
uh, and maybe I'm I'm wrong. I'm completely speculating right now. But just based on what happened with the Mandalorian, I could see maybe Star Wars heading in the direction of the TV shows being a little bit more serious, a little bit more yeah. for adults who have the longer attention span, who want to see that kind of darker stuff, totally. and the movies staying more like aimed towards a broader audience where kids. I think that's, I think that's the perfect. Well. I think that's the perfect mix. Like 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 I was saying earlier, it's just kind of like the streaming service is this amazing opportunity to go so far deep into yeah, Star Wars. For sure. And I think it's I think that's the way to go about it, you know. You've got this thing because then at that point the money speaks for it. Yeah. People are paying to watch that. You, you you then can just be like, okay, well this, you know, our our stock or whatever has increased this much while, you know, the movies, you know. And also the movies like you're talking you're talking about comparing Rogue One to the other movies. I mean, it's weird. Like people may not have liked Rogue One as much as the other movies or have or went to go see them because Rogue One's going up against Skywalker saga movies. I I fucking loved Rogue One. Like, yeah, I loved Rogue I, One. Rogue One was one of my favorites out of the entire awesome. new movies. It was so good. Oh, it was, yeah, I, I, loved I it. absolutely loved it. I've watched it quite a few times now mm-hmm. and will continue to rewatch it. I think uh, when it comes to the live action shows, I think one of the things that it has to do is it has to walk the fine line between uh, mature and gritty. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. there's too much gritty out there. And not to say that gritty's bad. I just don't think gritty is quite the Star Wars universe. I think mature would work. But it goes back to what Hannah was saying earlier about keeping the themes and the feel of hope alive in the series, because that's what it is. Yeah. It's about the hope for uh, the rebellion to be able to overthrow the Empire and the hope that these people have to make a better world for not just themselves, but for everybody in the galaxy. And I think I think that could work with mature, but I think it might be too much with gritty. Well, that's the thing, right? Where it's like, I, I agree with you 100%. What better way of having this group of people have good vibes and all that and putting them in a shithole of a galaxy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, that way, like, oh, we got to keep the whole alive because there's got to be something better than this. And I think that's kind of like what the originals were, were doing, you know? It's very dark, very gloomy, things like, you know, they weren't tolerant uh, of freedom, of happiness, of, of people smiling. Nobody smiled in the Empire, you know what I mean? Every, the 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 helmets themselves were skeletons. They they literally were skeletons. They had like a frown going on. Everybody looked the same, and I think that's the thing where it's like if you keep that tone, it's all about tone with Star Wars. You want to keep that friendliness and that and, and that fun attitude, but at the same time, you're thrusting all those characters into very serious uh, story points and very serious uh, story arcs. Yeah, like at the end of the day, they're still at war and like mm-hmm. things happen in war that even the the best people regret making certain decisions so i think there's a lot of really interesting stories to tell there but i agree with ben like there's a fine line between like gritty and mature and uh with mandalorian i think they really did a good job and they saw results with that like people love that show so i think if they kind of go along that line they'll probably be in a pretty good spot but uh yeah i'd be like I don't want to be seeing st- like I don't it's so it's so hard. We could talk about this forever, but like even in the Star Wars video games, people were really upset when they kind of nerfed them a little bit and the attacks that you could do on people, like there wasn't blood or anything in the games cuz <laughs> yeah. people like want to see that, but at the same time I'm like, "Oh, I don't know if I do or not." <laughs> 
Honestly, yeah. I th- oh, totally. I think if they're looking at some of the source material in that, um, Scott, you might be able to attest to this. I don't know for sure. But I think a piece of Star Wars media that really got that mature kind of war-torn feel without getting too dark and gritty was the Battlefront Twilight Company book. Mm, uh-huh. They did a really good job of making you feel immersed in the war that was going on and seeing how it was affecting different members of the rebellion um, without making it too dark and broody. Yeah. Well, I mean, for this for this show, Cassian Andor and K2SO, I think it'd be really interesting if we saw a different uh, Cassian at the beginning of this, and because we see he comes he he comes across as a little distant, a little like kind of dark in Rogue One. It'd be interesting to see him become that over time. Maybe he's a little bit of a younger Cassian, you know, and we see him go from oh starting out oh, okay, you know, he's Lieutenant Cassian Andor, blah blah blah, and he has to go on all these missions, and and we see the effects of war, we see the effects, we see him start doing things that he wouldn't normally do, and then you know, cut to Rogue One where he easily shoots that guy in the back. That would be a really cool concept, like just to to watch him start off as that bright eyed, hopeful young member of the rebellion who slowly yeah. realizes the things that he has to do in order to achieve the goal of the rebellion and yeah. how he has to do stuff that he doesn't necessarily agree with to reach a cause that he believes so much in. Yeah, cuz then cuz then as as well then he's he still thinks he's right, you know? He's yeah. doing all these things and then that's very similar to the empire vibes where it's like, "Oh, I'm doing this." And you know, villains don't think of themselves as villains. Yeah. Villains think that they're doing right. We're all um, the heroes in our own story. Yeah, exactly. And oh, I love this so I love talking about this so much because it's just <laughs> like you can you, you can spend hours on this. So okay, we're gonna talk about Rogue One for hours and hours and hours. So I'm gonna pull the plug and we're gonna we're gonna we'll talk about this afterwards probably. <laughs> but um, this was this was a topic that we looked at and went, oh, we don't have much to say on it. Yeah, and then we talked about it for twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, this was oh, they cast the guy from the Avengers in Rogue One spinoff. Cool, great. But uh, our last little topic here for the recap of the week, Ben's going to give us a short little mini review of the first 30 hours of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm about 27 hours, almost 27 hours into uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake. As I mentioned last week, Final Fantasy VII is like one of the most influential games on my life. To this date, it is the only video game that I bought the strategy guide for. And when my original PlayStation stopped working and I got an Xbox, I made sure that I kept my original copy of Final Fantasy VII and the strategy guide all those years. So booting that game up, I got chills returning back to this world. It was incredible. And you know what? Considering it's the first... I want to say about 10 hours of the original game is this entire game stretched out to uh, almost 40 hours with side quests and stuff like that. Um, it doesn't feel like they're stretching too much and that you're grinding too much at any point in the game, at least as far as I feel. Honestly, if anybody's on the fence about it, worth every penny. Absolutely gorgeous game, a lot of fun, some interesting combat mechanics. Sometimes a little frustrating, but I've been... I've been enjoying the challenge of it, and uh, as soon as we're done recording here, I'm probably going to go sit down on the couch for a few more hours and keep keep playing. Well, you can download the demo too, right? If you absolutely, any... I'd highly yeah. recommend checking out the demo. It's the first uh, first mission of the game, which is roughly an hour hour and a half. I can't remember where they cut the the demo off. And if you have no experience with Final Fantasy games, great spot to uh, jump in. I mean, every Final Fantasy is 
self-contained. The only thing really linking them other than the title is uh, theme. Some of the character names are shared just as kind of little throwbacks to uh, the earlier games. You don't need to have played the original Final Fantasy VII for this. Honestly, it makes me long for the old PS1 polygon graphics so once i finish this i'll probably take a break from it and play the original now i don't i don't know anything about final fantasy i'm definitely going to download the demo and try this one out is final fantasy i'm assuming it's not open world because of how old it is oh uh this this final fantasy 7 the remake is not very open world every other final fantasy has like kind of self-contained linear areas to a degree uh, but yes it becomes very open world very nice very like, nice very very open world uh, like multiple continents open world oh beautiful uh so ben your experience so far if you had to give this a score let's say out of 10 what would you give it so far out of 10 that's really hard because just for the sake of uh okay uh, out po of five. poetry no i was gonna say out of this <laughs> for the sake of poetry i would say out of i give it seven out of seven uh oh I'm honestly, the score is absolutely incredible. It's something that you could just put on with no context and get lost in the music. Um, originally composed by Nobu Umatsu, it's, uh, it's a score that's, again, stuck with me since I first started playing the original years ago. Okay, okay. Uh, sorry, so I'm trying seven. to keep this as concise as possible because I know <laughs> we're going a little over time so far. Uh, out of seven. Out of seven, honestly, at the moment, I'd probably give it a seven. It's a good challenge. It's a lot of fun. It's very good at bringing me back into the original story while also expanding in a couple of areas. Like, there's a couple of things where they mention it in that, and I was like, I, I never saw that plot point that way in the original, but that makes, like, it just, it's kind of changed the way I've looked at some of the stuff, and I think they, they've expanded and... Uh, in a really good way and uh, like fleshed out a lot of the side characters like without giving spoilers there's three characters that are kind of side characters right from the beginning in the original and they never really make it to main character status but the new one makes them feel so much more alive and it gives them a lot more explanation to their motivations without making it feel like exposition well you heard it here download the demo for yourself try it out and let us know what are your thoughts on final fantasy uh, seven and uh yeah we'll we'll check back in with you ben and see how the rest of the game has gone well considering last week i hadn't started it this week i'm 28 hours in next week i should be done <laughs> and just just a warning it is a ps4 exclusive for the first year i i know we've got some xbox players that listen so just a heads up you won't be able to play it unless you get a playstation Alrighty. well that brings us to our question of the week every week we're given a question whether it's asked from one of us on the panel here or one of our amazing listeners if you have a question you want us to answer hit us up on our social media this week's question is what time period would you want to visit hannah let's start off with you okay so i had to think about this quite a bit because being a woman a lot of time periods suck <laughs> So I was trying to think what time I would find the most exciting to be in. And like medieval time is cool. And like when Rome was happening, <laughs> um, I think that would be cool as well. Um, you know, the whole Rome thing. The whole Rome thing. You know. Hey, Scott, when was Greece? <laughs> uh, Greece. Uh, when did Greece start and when did it end? Um, I don't know. But the one that I kind of settled on, and it could be because I'm watching far too much Westworld at the moment, is 
like the Wild West era, kind of like Deadwood era. I think that would be really neat. It, I've always just had an affinity like for that time of like getting on your horse and you know just being able to ride and like picking a plot of land and being like I'm gonna have a house here and <laughs> just like building your house and but I was struggling because you also have to like poop in a bucket <laughs> <laughs> I mean I you still do it's like just that. made out of porcelain now <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there were so many good pros, and then you just had one con, and the one con like trumps everything. Does it though? Does it? Oh, and then I'm gonna be a gunslinger, and then I'm gonna be like so cool, and then I gotta poop in a bucket. Do you, do you, so, do you not poop in a bucket already? That's, I mean, you could poop on the street if you want, but in Red Dead Redemption, that gets you shot. Yeah, but in Red Dead Redemption, walking gets you shot too. Also true. Also true. It's just like a time when you used to be able to, and this, I don't know, maybe this makes me super weird, but if you wanted (laughs) to, you could just pick up and go and like go somewhere else and no one knew who you were and you could just like do something new. That, that's very intriguing to me. This was like barely when a third of the United States was, you know, anything was happening. (laughs) You couldn't just Google the guy down the street. No, you could do literally pretty much anything you wanted. And uh, I, I that's a very attractive prospect to me. Minus the, you know, dying of horrible diseases because there's no medicine and uh, pooping in a bucket. Those are yeah. the things that I don't Now like remember, with. though, remember, though, part of our rule is you are immune to all sicknesses. That's so you're true. not going to you're not going to bring back the plague. You're not going to bring <laughs> back whatever. You're there for a visit. You've been given a booster shot, and you can just try <laughs> not a, to kill everybody because that's going to mess with uh, the timeline. I'm a strapping, healthy young man because <laughs> <laughs> being a woman also not super great at that point. Hey, now but. I think there was I think there was quite a few um, gunslinging ladies in the wild. Yeah, that's wild true. Wild. I could be a calamity be like, Jane or big. Now, what Kate. would uh, what would your loadout be uh, in the wild, wild west? Oh God. I, I don't even know. I guess a Winchester. <laughs> hey, there you go. So you got a Winchester. You got a Winchester rifle on your back. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'd be the guy. I, I uh, me personally, I would ha- probably dual wield pistols. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Dual wield some Schofields. Sorry, this is very redhead Red Dead Redemption like <laughs> heavy right now. So uh, yeah, you guys tell me. Uh, ben, what uh, what time period would you like to visit? I've been thinking about this, um, and I think the Wild West would be really cool, but I think the time period I would, or I've settled on would be what many might consider the, like, kind of the influence on the Wild West, or at least film-wise, um, and that would be uh, Feudal Japan. Such a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is, uh, I don't have the most experience with kind of uh, film and television about this area, but anytime I watch something about this time period like uh, old samurai movies and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm enthralled. There's something fascinating about this era and the way that kind of the people of the time period lived and the way of the samurai and the ronin. And there's there's something really fascinating about that time period that I would, I would love to be able to see it firsthand because you see so many depictions of it in some varying degrees of light and fashion that it, it would be cool to see it 
for myself and truly, truly experience it. That's awesome. And I'd love to just wield a sword, like a true samurai sword. <laughs> now, are you concerned at all that they'll just kill you when they see you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, there, there is that. I know um, from my understanding, um, Japan was fairly closed off to outsiders in that time period. So there, there, there is the, the risk of, uh, I get a sword, I get stabbed with that said sword. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, no, man, Feudal Japan is such a good one. Like the architecture, oh. the... Yeah, totally. The fashion, like everything about it is just so inspiring. Well, the thing is, like, the interesting thing is, like, when, when you think of culture, like, when you think of American or North American culture, let's say, I mean, Canada and America have very have two slightly different cultures. But when you think of North American culture, the buildings and all that stuff, like the architecture, doesn't kind of ring out like you know Japanese culture or or Chinese culture or or Eastern culture. You know what I mean? Like there's like it's literally design differences. Oh, it, it's yeah. in in those cultures. It feels like the building is a work of art itself. The, the, yeah, build, the yeah. building yeah. itself says so much about um, not just who it is, but the in the culture they live in. Yeah. Like, even, like, for us, I, I, I don't know. I don't I don't want to be that guy to shit on our own culture. But, like, <laughs> our our designs well, don't have any, like, there's no, when you think of, when you think of, okay, when you think of feudal Japan architecture, you have an image that comes to your mind. When you think of Turkish culture, you think of a design that comes to your mind. When you think of American and Canadian, North American culture, you think of buildings. You think of squares and rectangles. Yeah. So I went to England, I think it was like 18 when I went to England. And like a lot of my ancestry is British. And when I went there, I felt like an immediate affinity like to the the land (laughs) it was super (laughs) weird but the buildings that they had it's very basic and it's not anything like say like feudal japan or whatever but there is like the the stone buildings it's the history it's the the feeling that the buildings convey which Mm -hmm. may is could be a weird thing to say but when i lived in toronto i never got that feeling because everything was very much like skyscrapers basic like boxes but honestly since i moved to kingston and there's older buildings here that have actually been able to survive some of that feeling that i got when i was in like britain of the older kind of like downtown center still kind of comes across here so i think it very much depends on where you live toronto i never had that feeling but for well that's the thing about like like well Toronto and the majority of, I would say, America, it's ever-changing. It's always under construction. It's it's always trying to be something in, like, to, to rise to the occasion. Bigger, We're better, going faster, straight toward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, when, I went to, when I went to England two, two and a half years ago, the biggest thing that struck me, we went to, like, uptown London area for lunch one day. I was just blown away by, like, there was buildings that literally were, was, like, just a curve, like a crescent move, and it just, yeah. a crescent moon, and it went on forever, and it was just solid, it just looked like solid rock, and it, would, it blew my mind, I was like, this has been here forever, and then, granted, like, like you said, maybe it depends on, like, you know, we live in Toronto, so we don't, we don't get a chance to kind of, like, appreciate what's going on with us or whatever, but it's one of those things where it's like when you think of Toronto or when you think of Canada or the United States, there's not like an ag like there's not a architectural design that reflects yeah. our 
society. I find that uh, a lot of Western countries like America, Canada, Britain, the buildings are designed to be much more pragmatic, uh-huh. right? They're, they're designed to put as much as you can into it and get as much use out of it as you can. Right. Where I find um, like some of those other cultures, it is as much a building as it is a work of art, as it is an expression of the culture and where they are at the time, as it is in many cases a piece of their religion as well. Like, I just want Toronto to look like Coruscant from The Phantom Menace. <laughs> so all boxes and circles. No, it's not all boxes. It's so much more <laughs> elegant than that. Coruscant is fucking beautiful. You've never visited just 1313, minus, like, We don't have to have the whole caste system, though. Like, the lower, like, we don't have to have level 1313 be slums or whatever. Like, we don't need slums. We need people, we need, like, a... a place of inspiration of beauty of you know the future you know what i mean i don't know and you think that's I don't, it comes back to star wars but wait jesus christ do you think that's Scott, what about you <laughs> i want to live in star wars <laughs> no it's not allowed it's fake we i know that we talked about this and i know it wasn't allowed but i love star wars <laughs> we couldn't tell say. couldn't tell eh so I thought about this quite a bit, and of course there's the, you know, the standard ones to go to, but I kind of thought about, like, what were some of the turning points in our history? Because feudal Japan, oh, that's, I just want to go there. Like, I just want to visit. But I feel like I can, I can maybe get not the same vibe if I went today, but, like, I could still see the buildings, which would be nice. First and foremost, I, w- I would love to just see land that's untouched. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. I think if like if I could see Canada untouched by the colonizers, that would be cool. That would be nice to see. But the one the the first one that I came up, I came up with two different options. I think World War II, so the 30s and 40s I think would be interesting because there was such a design difference after that, like well, that was the birth of Art Deco, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the oh my god, the cars, the cars during this time. Holy shit. You know, like you got gangster cars. Like, there's a, there's a, at some point, history, like humanity fell off the way, like fell off the wagon when in car design, because now everything looks like a Toyota Corolla. Not dish, <laughs> not, not fucking dishing on Toyota Corollas, because they're they're good cars. They get you from point A to point B. But like, I want a car that looks like a fucking Cadillac from the 30s. You know, like when did we lose angles? When did we lose curves? When did we lose? You know. Scott, what about the cube? The the Nissan cube? <laughs> yeah, whatever that one is. Listen, I'm not opposed to driving a <laughs> Nissan cube, but it's not very aerodynamic. <laughs> but I think, so my first one, I think I'm going to go with World War II just because, like, the design elements. I mean, sadly, there was a war, and sadly, millions yes. of people died. They, um, they would have seen you walking down the streets and been like, hey, you, why are you not fighting? <laughs> Yeah, but I'm going to look past all that. I feel like they would have looked at Scott and went, blonde hair, blue eyes, you must be German. Wait a second, why is that man wearing a mustache? At least it's a full mustache. Uh, well, that's that's the problem, right? If, you, if I went down in the 30s and 40s, I feel like I just get drafted right away. But I think from a design element, like this is like, I think this is the point during American and Canadian culture where we had a very distinct look. And I like that, and I think that's why I would go back to that time period and just try to experience that. Also, that's when America very much made a transition from being an isolationist country into, I'm going to put my finger in every goddamn pie country. So I think, like, d- design-wise and architecture-wise, I think I would go back to the 40, 30s and 40s. Uh, that kind of part interests me. Maybe the 20s. 
there's a there's a thirty year time period I might try out. But my second option was I was going to go with um, Medieval Times, mainly because I was going to go back and I would go back in time and pretend to be Merlin, and like that's where all that's where all the uh, the stories come from. Scott, you you live in Toronto. You can go to Medieval Times any weekend. <laughs> no, I know that, and I've been so much in the past two years. <laughs> Really? I've never been. Really? Next time you guys come down to Toronto, we should go to Medieval Times. I'm medieval down. Times and Laser Tag. Sounds like a good night. Oh my god, that's like, it's like my birthday. Come on now. <laughs> that's like well, the perfect birthday. Well, we're not going birthday. to Disney anymore for our birthday, so we better figure out something to do. Yeah. We're both turning 30 this year. <laughs> yeah, for all of our friends listening to this, all of our, uh, oh, friends, friend, any of our listeners are our friends. We were going to go to Disney for Hannah and I's 30th birthday, and because, you know, the world we is on lockdown. Yeah, we can't go anymore. So, And because people don't wash their goddamn hands, we can't <laughs> go. Uh, so that was our question of the week. What time period would you want to visit? Hit us up on social media about your answer. Let us know where would you like to go for a visit in historical times. Up next, it's time for us to take a look at Gladiator. Directed by Ridley Scott. Came out in 2002, was it? came out in the year 2000 turn of the century turn of millennia we're going to take a look at is does this movie still hold up as the kids say does it slap and uh let's start with hannah ladies first what do you what do you think so i really loved this movie a lot when i was a i guess if it came out in 2000 i was in like grade seven which is weird <laughs> Because I had a gigantic crush on Russell Crowe, who is clearly, like, a 40-year-old man in this movie. <laughs> the weird thing is he looks so young in this movie, and he's still 40. I just heard um, the gears turning in, in Hannah's brain about, like, oh, my God, I, she, I just realized he's 40 years old in this. I watched it. I So I bought the Blu-ray years ago because I really loved this movie when I was younger, and I, I watched it a lot weirdly i i just really like the dynamic of the movie where it's going between like crazy fight scenes and politics at the same time i think that there's like kind of a nice balance between the two it makes the movie very long but i was never bored when i was watching it and i was always kind of drawn into what was happening uh the other thing i noticed is like it was a hundred percent shot on film because um I could see some kind of imperfections in the actual movie itself, like a few little spots here and there, which added to it, actually. I kind of liked seeing that. And you could just tell, like, the crispness of it. The colors were gorgeous. Like, whoever did the color grading, I I didn't look it up, but that opening fight of them in the forest, that was, like, unbelievably beautiful. Just the the dark tones of the forest and also the fire that was coming up as well, I, I really liked that a lot, and also the dog. He was pretty pretty great at the beginning, never to be seen again. Joaquin Phoenix is a creep. He is a <laughs> <laughs> weird creep in this movie. But yeah, overall, I, I really enjoyed watching it again. It had been a couple years since I'd seen it. And yeah, I was drawn in the atti- entire time. I was trying to take notes or thinking about taking notes and didn't didn't wind up taking many. The only one that I remember is uh, the Caesar at the beginning was Dumbledore. Yeah, uh, that's Richard Harris. <laughs> yeah. He's one of my favorite parts in this movie. But yeah, uh, overall, I had a good time with it. Beauty. Ben, what are you thinking? 
Um, so unlike Hannah, this was my first time ever seeing Gladiator. Um, Whoa. It's it's crazy. Like this movie almost exists in a weird pocket of time. And I'll explain why, because I know that sounds odd, but I was watching the movie and I watched the first hour and then something came up and I was like, oh man, I'm only an hour into this movie. Actually, it's probably like 45 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm only 45 minutes into this movie. And then I came back to the movie and I watched it. And all of a sudden I was like looking at my watch and I was like, oh man, there's only 30 minutes left in this movie. Like it just, at no point did it really feel its length. Like it, the entire time I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm here for it. I mean, the main reason I was like, I'm only 45 minutes in is I was like, there's still so much story to tell. And I'm wait like on the edge of my seat waiting for the, the next plot point. Like just, I was ready for, for it to progress further. I just wanted to know more about what was going on. I do have a few notes. Uh, one of which is Joaquin Phoenix is so slimy in this movie. Like that's just, <laughs> yeah. slimy is just the only word that I could think of that properly conveyed how I felt about his character and like one of my favorite things about this movie is right from the get-go you get such a like a visceral feeling for who these characters are in their relation to your traditional story structure of hero versus villain right like and you can see that through their interaction with the first caesar in the movie how russell crowe as maximus respects him and listens to him and is there to help him and aid him and then uh, Joaquin Phoenix shows up and it's anything he does for Caesar is only to make himself look good it's very selfish whereas Russell Crowe is very selfless in his acts towards Caesar and within two minutes of meeting Joaquin Phoenix's character you know he he's slimy again that's the only word I can really think of to properly describe his character you could definitely tell it was film one of the things that actually bugged me about this film was uh, maybe it was just my stream of it, but in the uh, opening scenes in particular during the battle scenes, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of speed ramping with the footage, and it felt very jagged. Like it just felt like it was chugging a little bit for me, and it wasn't as smooth. And I, the reason I feel like it was the movie and not my stream is any see any shots on either side of these speed ramped slow mode shots were perfectly smooth no issues at all running in regular speed but aside from that and again that only being really at the beginning of the movie i had i had a really good time with it it was really fascinating to see the plotting the scheming how it was juxtaposed with this absolutely brutal combat and it was kind of kind of gave me the feeling that like what's What's more? What's the more dangerous sport, politics or being in the gladiator gladiatorial ring? Like it, it, it was kind of an interesting way of telling the story and showing the whole scope of um, the Roman Empire. There, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna have to agree <laughs> with you guys. I, I, um, I love this movie. I saw it when it first came out, and to this day, I love it. I mean, I do. I totally see what you're saying about like the speed ramping. It definitely feels like when they when they did this, they, it's either shots that weren't meant to be slowed down, <laughs> or it was just like, well, they didn't change the the speed or whatever, you know. Yeah, and it's not it's not every slow mo shot. Like there's that shot where the camera is swooping around Russell Crowe after his victory, and he's like his first mm-hmm. victory, and like that looks 
fine. That looks smooth. It's just for me, it's just mainly shots from that initial battle. Which I wonder if gorgeous. that is. I wonder if that's the if if the case is then it was a shot that wasn't initially meant to be in slow mo, or if it was supposed to have some sort of effect where it's like, oh, you know, the the jaggedness of it is gonna be is supposed to put us off somehow. You know what I mean? I feel like the shots would have worked. Uh, without that jaggedness in slow-mo because they had that kind of muted sound effects uh, with the swelling music and the slow-mo camera movements. I felt like that kind of got the brutality of this battle across better than the jaggedness. The jaggedness just kind of pulled me out of it a little bit and I couldn't stop noticing it every time it happened. Yeah, I don't... I'm going to have to agree with you. I feel like jagged slow-mo needs to have a purpose. And especially in this day and age, I feel like there's there's a growing need to not have slow-mo be jagged. It's from 2000. Like, that's yeah, ni- totally. 19 years ago. <laughs> that is... 20. A long... What year are you in? <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck. <laughs> I'm a year behind. I don't want to turn 30, Ben. <laughs> Um, Too bad. Yeah, it's 20 years ago. I don't know. There's just stuff that people have perfected now that it's changed. Um, Yeah, it could very well just be a thing that, you know, technologically. I didn't see it when it first came out, so I don't know how it held up technologically compared to what it felt like when it first came out. So I'll give it that for sure. Now, there's a lot of really intense zooms in this movie as well. And not just like subtle zooms, like... Zooming in like a couple feet on the guy. (laughs) Right after Russell Crowe's first fight, I believe it is, and two of the senators are sitting at a table talking, and like this shot starts off as a two, and it ends as a single, and it's not a super long shot, but it it gets right up close and personal. Uh, Yeah, no, I agree with you uh, completely about the, uh, the speed ramping. I think it's... Part of me more and more thinks it's just more of like a technological thing rather than, a, oh, the artist meant to do it. You know what I mean? I still love this movie. When I watched it, I just got entranced in it. I didn't really kind of focus too much on taking notes because I was just very into it, even though I had my pen and paper there. My pen and paper says, like, it started off being like, Dumbledore. And then it, at the bottom, like, if there's a whole space, I just put, fuck. <laughs> because I totally <laughs> forgot to do anything. Um, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is very much a creepy dude in this. Uh, I do. I was a big fan of um, like old, you know, nineteen fifties. You know, those types of you know Caesar movies. You know, um, Spartacus. You know, very old timey uh, Roman Empire where all the bad guys are British. You know what I mean? Like that that type of old Roman Empire movies. And this, like you said, Ben, it's got more of a visceral thing. Like, you just hate these char- some of these characters from the get-go. Anyone that's bad, you get a feeling that they're bad. You don't like them. And it's very much a plays on your emotions rather than, rather than intellect. And I think that that works for it. I really dig that. Really, Scott, man, I, I love Really Scott. I'm a big fan. Yeah, he's like, done a lot of really good stuff. Yep. I just like this movie a lot. I really like this movie. This Did you guys notice that uh, Hans Zimmer basically plagiarized himself in this movie and in Pirates? <laughs> yep. Really? Yeah, we were. Yeah, uh, my the, wife and I were watching it, and we're just like, this sounds like Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold up. Like, Pirates of the Caribbean came out after. Yeah. What? Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean and, came out like three years later. Yeah, and like there, it is the exact Pirates theme, just like. 
like a court a key down <laughs> oh my god i thought you guys meant that he plagiarized pirates i thought oh okay i thought pirates of the caribbean came out before this i was like there's no, no. way no, no like no, and hans after. zimmer did okay. the music for both but he kind of played... i thought somebody else did the first one no, I'm, uh, I'm sure. on the first one right now. Let me check. Music by Klaus Bedelt. Oh shit! So that he didn't plagiarize himself. Wow. So Klaus Bedelt plagiarized uh, <laughs> Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Holy fuck! But That's crazy. Hans Zimmer did do the second one. Interesting. Indeed. But yeah, it's like the exact pirates theme. It's weird. It's just like it's slightly lower or something. But yeah, it's. <laughs> like the it's main thing really it's a little it, it's slower a bit but i like it, it's got that same feel to it speaking of which what do you guys think about the score to this movie i really like it a lot yeah i like it 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 does a really good job of kind of pulling you into the world a little bit more uh the way that the fight scenes in this movie are shot just feels so in, like they feel so tense like i yeah. honestly at the in that last fight scene I wasn't even sure if Maximus was going to win. I knew he wouldn't survive, but I wasn't sure if he was actually going to win. Well, the great thing about, like, fight scenes is that usually it's all about kind of like, oh, it's about survival. Who's going to win? Who's going to whatever? This this movie is literally being a gladiator, like, surviving. Like, am I, am I going to get through it? You know what I mean? So I love that. I love that te- that that sense of tense, you know, the tensefulness of it, the the suspense. I love this movie. Yeah, yeah, it was it's, it, a good movie. it's it's really good. I know it's twenty years ago, but everyone in this movie just feels so young. Like I almost didn't recognize. Yeah, uh, oh my god. Yeah, I, I almost didn't recognize uh, Tommy Flanagan. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen him in quite a few different projects over the last ten years, and even going back to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, he looks so much older than he does in this movie. It's like he looks like a kid in this movie. Yeah. The, the main reason I knew who it was right away is those scars. You cannot mistake those scars. Well, and that's the thing is like, I think his scars were relatively fresh when this movie was coming out. And over the years, they've kind of faded a little bit. They're not quite as intense. But in this movie, you're like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> he got mangled. That's oh, crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The story behind those scars is crazy. Yeah. What's the story behind up. those scars? Because they should just cast him <laughs> as the Joker. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to do any makeup for it. That wasn't a slight at Tommy Flanagan. That was about his scars. Sorry, I just realized how no, that he's sounded. He's great. Oh my god, he's great. We're just we're just trying to get you another job, man. Come on. Yeah. He he he's a really good actor too. I really enjoy his work. Yeah, everyone in this movie was great. And uh, so I don't know this for sure. Again, speculation. It's what I do best. Um, <laughs> Oliver Oliver Reed. He passed away while they were filming this movie. And they had to do like a body double, essentially, for this, where they took him from a previous scene and put him into this one. And I just wonder, like, is this one of the first times that they had to do this? Or did they do that uh, prior to Gladiator? I wonder. Well, I know um, Brendan Lee died while they were shooting The Crow. Um, But I don't know if they did anything quite like that or if they just worked around. I know they used the body double to finish some of the scenes. Yeah. No, which which one was he again? He played Proximo. Proximo was the the slave owner, oh, the guy okay. that um that got the wooden sword, and at the end there he is letting Maximus out of his cell and the lighting is just slightly off 
he's a little brighter than the actual scene itself and it's because they had to take him from a previous scene and like kind of stick him in this and yeah i i would be interested to find out if they'd done something like that before yeah that would be cool who was the guy with the eyebrows because those eyebrows were crazy <laughs> my god with the eyebrows i could not stop looking at those eyebrows that was like hunger game shit <laughs> yeah especially when he put the wig on too yeah it's like the original evie was that her name i can't remember that's going back yeah, a couple yeah. weeks now so guys, Gladiator, a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Does it live or does it die? <laughs> oh, it lives 100%. Thumbs up. And Ben? I have to ask answer your question with another question. Were you not entertained? Definitely a lives. <laughs> I was so proud of the amount of times that we have not made our are you entertained joke. Because I had so many of them in the opening of this, and I cut all of them. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't have any uh, any jokes like that, but I did have a note that says... Dem eyebrows, yo. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably my be- my best note. Oh, and uh, uh, when uh, when Joaquin Phoenix um, when his sister gives him that drink to get help him sleep, I, all I wrote was, "Mmm, cocaine and water." <laughs> I have some great notes here, guys. Really in depth stuff. I mean, watching that scene now, you're just kind of like, oh, I better be night- Essence of Nightshade. Better be Essence of Nightshade. <laughs> it's a good old Game of Thrones one. Uh, but Ben, does it live or die for you? Thumbs up, thumbs down. It lives. It definitely lives. And it lives for me, too. That's a rousing endorsement from the Winchester. Well, that's been the Winchester's review of The Gladiator. Catch us next week, where we talk about Dune. Dune's coming out in theaters the remake we're all very excited for it but we're going to take a look at the original and ben is the only one that has seen the original hannah and i uh, have seen snippets maybe but we're all going to take a look and we're going to meet back here and we're going to talk about it hannah where can the good people find you everyone can find me online at shiny bad ben hit him with them details I am the Ben Bray on Instagram. And I'm Scott. And you can find me on all social media at SCAYP. That's S C A Y P. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and all other platforms where you get your podcasts. It would really help us out and we would appreciate it. You can join in on the conversation by following us on all social media at WinchesterCast or heading to our website, WinchesterCast.ca. Don't forget to use the hashtag WinchesterCast. The Winchester does not do any hardcore advertising as it is purely word of mouth because, well, we're poor. So every share, every mention, every hashtag, it really helps us with getting Winchester out there for more people to watch and listen. That's all for us. Thanks for popping by the Winchester. Pew, 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 pew. pew, pew.